Have you ever used ChatGPT? No, but I keep, I feel like I should now. <laughs> I know. I feel like I'd be obsessed with it if I did, though. So I yeah. don't know. You know what I, I think would be a really good use for this? Mm. You know those websites where it's like, what's in my fridge? And you can add like things that are in your pantry. And you can add things like, oh, I have eggplant and eggs and honey and whatever, like broccoli, yeah. whatever in my fridge. And then it'll spit out recipes for you mm-hmm. yep. to make with that. It's kind of like, I can't remember what the we- what the website's called, but ChatGPT would be a good way to do that too. It's like, oh, these are my ingredients, make me a recipe that tastes good. And then it's like, oh, using this ingredient is like, oh, you know, um, you, then you can go back and be like, oh, I don't want garlic or I don't, I, I want to add in this ingredient that I found or something. And then they, they'll adjust things for you. It's super cool. That is really neat. I love that. We should get it to um, decide all of the episode content one day. <laughs> Welcome to Taste BC Radio, where we're going on a journey to explore restaurants, breweries, wineries, and just about anywhere where we can eat or drink local. I'm Jeff. And I'm Dan. And we are talking twice a month about local BC food and drink. If you want to join in on the conversation, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at TasteBC Radio, or email us at host at tastebcradio.ca. All right, tasters, let's get into it. Dan, this intro is going to be a little different, because we have a couple articles we want to talk about, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I haven't just a... Uh, stumble across this uh, uh, article by the Vancouver Sun yesterday, the day before we uh, uh, recorded, and uh, I think it's uh, I think it's going to highlight a lot of uh, excitement in 2023 for the craft beer scene in in Canada and kind of what what people can expect from local breweries uh, um, if they follow kind of like what the what uh, other breweries are doing across the country. So yeah, let's talk about. The, uh, this article um, it's titled craft beer in Canada look at what the year will bring little uh, side note there's a buzz among brewery owners and brewmasters across Canada as they anticipate an exciting 2023 craft beer scene uh, my first comment is I feel like every year is a is exciting for craft beer yeah. I don't know what makes it like makes this year particularly particularly more exciting but I guess we'll find out as we kind of read through the article so it kind of starts off with talking about like what is what is the kind of beer style that people are talking about the most right now, and um, what what are what are the consumers really looking for at this time uh, or or this year? And it kind of goes towards like uh, more Euro style lagers, kind of the the clean and um, less less bitter kind of flavors. So I guess. Um, kind of your less heavy IPAs and stuff, which I I think we've kind of talked about on the show already that we're we've noticed a, a trend away from like the hop that just smacks you in the face, which you would right. uh, traditionally see in BC. We were kind of known, or at least the Northwest in general was kind of known for their for their really hoppy IPAs, and the 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 game was or, always about like who can hit the heaviest <laughs> in terms yes, of yeah. just smacking you in the face with hops. And I think we've noticed a substantial shift away from that, which I, for one, I'm quite thankful for, to be honest. Um, I never really got into the whole, um, I want to try the hoppiest beers of all time. Um, Unreasonably and, hoppy. Yeah. Yeah. I would rather, I, I, I think it's, it, it shows more of your, um, like you're, I think it shows more, you have the ability to show your style more often where, when you're kind of looking towards the subtleties of different hops and like you're bringing out like the tropical flavors of some of your IPAs and the citrusy notes and stuff like that. And I think, for sure, I, I think it's a more, um, it's a, it's probably more complicated and like, it's probably harder. I, I, I'm, I'm not a brewmaster by any stretch of the imagination, but just kind of thinking about it logically, I feel like it would be a lot easier just to pile on the hops as much as you yeah. can and just smack well, you in the face rather than like brewing a beer that, um, is able to show off its like subtle, more subtle flavors and stuff. For sure. Like and then that can also, um, just hide all the other imperfections. Whereas totally. a well-balanced beer, you have to really calculate it out. Totally. What I liked about this, uh, um, article as well is they were talking to the, one of the owners of Small Gods Brewery, which I've talked about on the show. And, uh, uh it's nice to see that they're already kind of putting themselves out there. They're quite a young brewery already. And they're, they seem to be already making a, a big impact. And, uh, 
Um, so, and from my little uh, spiel on Small Gods Brewery, they are one that really focuses on the subtleties. Not saying that their mm-hmm. beer is subtle by any stretch, but because uh, they're all like full of flavor, but it's not it's not that hoppiness. Like their IPAs are very smooth and very crisp and lovely to drink, and you could drink them all day without kind of feeling sick and stuff like that, or just getting overwhelmed with hops. And yeah, so it's nice to see that they're being um, showcased in this article, which is awesome news for them. Shows that they're kind of doing it, they're they're doing it right. Right. Yeah. And and thinking ahead to it. Totally um talk a little bit about like the hazy ipas um uh which i think it was kind of a, a favorite of yours uh, the hazy pale ales and the hazy ipas and it's kind of more that um the subtleties of it right less hops yeah, for more, sure. more bringing out the subtle flavors of the of said hops so um that's good to see um there was a the final trend in style that uh more brewers will be trying their hand at uh, according to this article is going to be cold ipas which i had a cold ipa did you i had it at camp brewing the other day yeah it was how was it it was really interesting it was like a cross between an ipa and a lager interesting yeah and so they explain a little bit about what a cold ipa is and it's uh, it's an IPA, uh, but brewed with lager yeast. So there you go. Yeah. Um, uh, which brews, if you look at, cause you can kind of break down the two, uh, there's two basically main, uh, beers that you can make. It's ales and yeah. lagers, right? And, uh, lagers traditionally take longer and also brew at a lower temperature. So yeah. it's kind of using the IPA, which would be an ale with a lager yeast and, uh, brewing it in the traditional way of, uh, of a lager. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Lagers uh, also are uh, they they're bottom ferment, so mm-hmm. uh, all the yeast kind of settles to the bottom and it ferments down there. And then the ales it top ferments, so it ferments across the top of the liquid. So it kind of gives a different flavor profile that way too. Interesting. Well, there you go. See, this is why you're the expert on the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, one of it, one of the more uh, resurging flavors or uh, styles that you're going to be uh, uh, happy to hear is uh, the resurgence of pale ales. Um, so they're expecting to be uh, more pale ales on the market and more in- more kind of um, creative uh, pale ales. So that's that that'll be exciting to look out for. Um, and then uh, one of the um, what do they say? One of the uh, members of Brassneck Brewery is talking about. There's a lot of people that are inter- getting more interested in beer wine hybrids, which is, oh. so I'm wondering if we're going to see more of those in the. Uh, uh, in the near future across across the brewing network in Canada. So that'll be interesting. I know I've had a few um, of kind of, uh, what was it? I've forgotten now. I think it was like a champagne style, like white wine beer or something along those lines. The, right. here's, a, here's a question. Barley wine. Now, is that actually, is would that be classified as a beer wine hybrid or is that just the name of this specific kind of brew? I think barley wine is closer to a beer than it is to a wine. Fair enough. Yeah. Does it actually use like fermented grapes or anything? Or oh, actually, no, it, actually it ferments it barley, as far as I know. Okay. Um, but they also uh, a big beer that's becoming really popular is a brute IPA right now. Yeah, that's the thank you. That is the yeah. one that I was uh, trying yeah. to a uh, brute. That's the one. Yeah. So a brute yeah. IPA. I've had a couple of them, and they're interesting. I don't know if they're really my like. I don't know if I would go out of my way to have one but maybe from probably from specific breweries i would definitely want to try it just to... well it's funny because even the non-alcoholic beer scene is replicating brute ipas oh really yeah. oh interesting well that's kind of um, what we're kind of going to talk about yeah. next the next little uh, thing that they're expecting is more uh alcohol free options so uh, yeah. you and i have talked about this uh, a couple of times of non-alc beers becoming uh, a thing and non-alc cocktails as well so we've talked about lumet uh hard bar uh substitutes uh, delicious super super interesting yeah. and it's kind of now, sorry go ahead sorry i i'm gonna jump in here because my sister called me out yesterday because she said that we we always say non-alc instead of non-alcoholic <laughs> what and and she asked if that was a reason a reason why and i said i didn't even realize we did that so um for anyone who hasn't uh i guess non-alcoholic we will henceforth refer to as non-elk, most likely. Right. Well, good shout on her part, because I didn't even notice. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it's just shorter and easier to say, all right? 
Yeah, we only have 45 minutes, so we gotta get... <laughs> yeah, we gotta cut down. We have a lot to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the cool things that they mentioned in this uh, in this article uh, is hop water, which is uh, an alcohol-free, mm-hmm. sugar-free option uh, that I've tried uh, the hop water at Category 12, and it is spectacular. It is so, so good. Um, the way like to describe it sounds kind of weird, but... Trust me when I say it is delicious. It's basically just non-alc, like zero alcohol water that's been almost like almost like tea infused with hops, and it's it yeah. is delicious. It is yeah, so sure. good, and uh, a lot of or yeah, and they call it uh, Great Lakes Brewery does one uh, from Ontario, um, and they call it Hop Pop, <laughs> and they uh, they'll add like citrus or vanilla to it, and uh, apparently it's getting quite good reviews. So. Maybe one of the BCU uh, breweries will start doing hop pop. I could see like I could see like Phillips doing it, adding it to like uh, their Sparkmouth um, or their Iota brand Iota, or whatever. Exactly, which they yeah. actually just released a new one, which was uh, a lemon oh. blackberry lemon. Yeah, that's the one that they're. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, right. So I have yet to try it, but maybe that'll be on a uh, episode on a midweek uh, or mid mid episode. Um, Mid episode segment. segment. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a bad time with speaking today. Apparently, yeah, that's all right. Okay, well, thank you for sharing that article. That was awesome. I yeah. I suppose that we're not going to see the summer of sour then. Uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll see some, but I'm wondering if they'll uh, kind of go a different direction with it. Yeah, I wonder if the I wonder if the summer of sour was a little preemptive, and we actually just went through the winter of sour. But it doesn't sound <laughs> as good as the summer of sour. Summer of sour sounds so good. Oh yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I have a fun little article to tag on to that, which is Ooh. a also about a Vancouver Island brewery. Uh huh. And it's the brewery is called. Whistle Boy Brewing. Hey! Oh, I know where you're going with this. I saw this article as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, they decided to ask ChatGPT, and for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's an AI software, which is all the rage right now, um, artificial intelligence, which, and they asked it to look at a bunch of hazy IPA beers and create a recipe for them. And then they made it. The prompt was, we're thinking of making a hazy pale ale, fluffy and tropical. Please write us a recipe and include specific hops and malts to use. Anyway, so uh, ChatGPT came back and said, sure, here's a recipe for hazy pale ale that should be fluffy and tropical. And so it listed some malt, oats, uh, wheat malt, flaked wheat, a couple different grains, uh, lactose, which is common in hazies, and then... Uh, two parts mosaic hops, one part citra hops, one part Eldorado hops. Mm. Um, and then it also has a little bit of Irish moss. And then one package of your favorite ale yeast. It's <laughs> a nice touch. <laughs> uh, and then it, it actually gave specific ingredients and how, or um, steps on how to actually make it. So, you know, mash the grains at this specific temperature for this long and, and whatever. And then... Um, it all, and then a yield on it and everything. And then, so they went out and they made it. Obviously, they scaled the recipe up to something worth their time. Yeah. And the exact quote from the, the brewer was, we're not saying it's good or bad, but the beer that it told us to produce tastes solid. <laughs> <laughs> so is that a so this is, re- this is really interesting you? because it kind of changes the way that we think about the entry into beer, right? So if you have someone who is a home brewer or whatever, uh, I mean, this app is free. You could say, hey, make me this recipe. And then they say, here's a recipe. And then you say, okay, where do I get these ingredients? And then it'll tell you where to get the ingredients. Now, obviously, it's not perfect, uh, but apparently it's getting better every, every day and every use. But there's still a nuance to making beer and following trends and following, you know, what actually tastes good versus what systematically would taste good. Yeah. Um, and so it's interesting that this, it, it also was a very simple recipe. So yes. it was like exact amounts, whereas a brewer, especially when you're scaling it up, 
So this yield yields 19 liters of beer and they would be making, you know, each keg is 50 liters. And so they'd probably be making, you know, what, 20 plus kegs of it Yeah, more, maybe as an experimental batch they'd be doing less or, or whatever. But these numbers are very nice round numbers, right? Six pounds of this, eight ounces of this, four ounces of this, uh, yeah. or these really nice round numbers, like six pounds, half pound, quarter pound, one pound, two pounds, whatever. Yeah. So... If a brewer is doing a, you know, 100 keg recipe of something, they might be tweaking that down to the pound there, which if scaled down to this size would be like eighths of teaspoons amount differences. So and those nuances can get picked up by the human tongue that an AI wouldn't be able to figure out. But it's a super interesting idea and concept. Mm. And it's also really cool that they actually just put the recipe out, the exact recipe that they did. So it's like, oh, I could, if I like this beer, I could go home and I could make it myself if I knew where to get these ingredients. Totally, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's super interesting. Yeah, I see it. I opened the article and uh, yeah, it's got it word for word, exactly what chatbot, uh, what the chatbot said. And Mm -hmm. like um, ingredients list, Uh, it uh, even it provided like instructions on how to like brew it, like mash the grains at 152 degrees Fahrenheit for half for 60 minutes. Boil the wort for 60 minutes, adding yeah. the mosaic hops at the beginning of the boil, the citra and Eldorado hops out with 15 minutes left in the boil, and the Irish moss with 10 minutes left in the boil. So pretty specific instructions as well, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And, and like these specific degree temperatures too, which is Yeah. Really... All right. All right. What do you got for me this week uh, there, Jeff? So... I have a fun little winery. Oh, we should that... also mention where we're talking about wineries today. Probably yes. want to, yeah, preemptively tell say that. <laughs> Sorry. No, all good. That uh, yeah. Um. So I have a fun little winery, a, t- a tiny little winery in Oliver, and is called Red Horses Vineyard. Ah, oh, nice. Yeah. So oh, Red my, Horses. No, wait, 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 wait. I've been to Red Horses. Uh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we went there when, uh, close to when, was it when they, no, I think they had been open for about a year. Yeah, so they opened in, or they planted in 2009. Oh, okay. Well, definitely not, definitely not that far back. Yeah. So anyway, um, it was, Red Horse's Vineyard was started in 2009 when Tim and Eileen Fortin, or, yeah, Fortin, I think, uh, came to the Okanagan in retirement after, you know, successful ventures in Vancouver. Uh, he originally was from Saskatchewan. I don't know where she was from. It doesn't say. Maybe Vancouver. And they bought a 1.1 acre property, and uh, it had it was an orchard with 70 year old trees, and is just on the outskirts of Oliver. And they decided that they wanted to grow grapes, and he had a love of Cabernet Sauvignon. So he said, I'm going to start there. And this is like a big gamble because Cabernet Sauvignon is, it takes longer to get to the point of harvesting. And in the climate in the Okanagan, that can be really quick to go too cold and freeze and ruin the grapes. So he he said, yep, I'm going to do it. And ended up buying extra property and continued to plant more Cabernet Sauvignon uh, grapes. And just started with a really small production. They they produce a very small amount of wines. In 2017, they only produced 100 cases of Cab Sav. In 2018, they produced 450 cases. And then in 2019, they produced 1,000 cases. And they said they'll probably keep it around 1,000 after that. So uh, I haven't got any details past 2019 on their production rates. They only sell five different types of wines. They have Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Cab Sav Merlot blend, and then they have a barrel aged Chardonnay, and then they have a runaway. Uh, uh, they have a rosé as well, and the rosé I believe is from the Cab uh, grapes, and yeah, it's really sense. great to see this tiny little vineyard just really kind of hunkering down on these two grapes and just going hard on them, and, and then they have the Chardonnay offering as well, which also was really quite good. I actually have their Cabernet Merlot blend. Uh, right now in my um, wine collection as well as their rosé yeah when we went there and we've been saving it because we're like oh this is a nice bottle of wine save it for a special occasion (laughs) but of course the folly of that is you just keep saving it and then yeah never have it so is this special enough is it yeah (laughs) (laughs) so their their tasting room and their their building is so cute and Mm -hmm. it has that 
like it feels like it was built in like Mexico. It has kind of like the clay walls, the tan clay walls, yeah. and it has these big art structures of horses on the property as well. Mm-hmm. And when you drive in, you kind of feel like you're driving down someone's like back farm road. It's yep. like a dirt road. You pull in. It's not like very far, but but for that you know half a second that you're on that, you're like, okay, this is the Okanagan. I'm I'm correctly going to a winery. That's why it's not paved, and I'm I'm pulling into this tiny little place. And when we went there, it was absolutely torrential downpour, and so we were the only ones. And when we went there, it was the day before my triathlon, oh, and okay. so I was like, okay, I'm not gonna drink a bunch uh, yeah. because I have the race. Um, and it was torrential downpour. And so like the, there was no one out really wine tasting. I think yeah. it was a Friday as well. And, um, we, we roll in and we're like, okay, is it open? We're not sure. And so we're used to some of the, uh, Kelowna wineries, which typically have like, we're open signs and it's a little yeah. bit more touristy as opposed to this like tiny little vineyards that are all kind of nestled all throughout each other in, in Oliver. So when we went in, we're like, okay, I'm not sure. And the door is uh this big wooden door and so yeah. you you can't see it's not like modern like glass window doors you can see in and see someone's there so we're like pulling on the door and we're like okay we're gonna come in now <laughs> <laughs> uh and we went in this tiny little tasting room probably couldn't fit more than like four people tasting at a time tops and the person serving us was super knowledgeable super friendly we tasted everything because they only had, you know, five wines to taste. And it was just absolutely amazing. All of them were so good. You could tell there was so much care put into them. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a big Chardonnay drinker, but I still enjoyed that one. And uh, the rosé was probably my favorite rosé I tasted on that trip as well. Oh, wow. And we went to, I don't know, seven maybe um, wineries. Yeah. Including Hidden Chapel that we talked about uh, yeah. a little while ago. And, and yeah, so we had, we had to get, a, I was like, I was like, oh, we're like on a quick trip. We don't need to buy a bunch of wines. And, but here we bought two bottles and a Hidden Chapel, we bought two bottles and uh, I don't, I think we maybe got like one or two more total. So that says a lot in terms of us having kind of being on the restriction because we tend to buy a lot of wines when we go wine tasting. Yep. Uh, but we were like, okay, we're going to be so good. And we were good. We only got like six bottles of wine that trip. Oh, there you go. <laughs> but two the... of them were from here. So that's a that's a big win for them, I think. Nice. I'm also, uh, I really enjoy Cabernet Sauvignon. I have, uh, I mean, most wine drinkers are kind of like, oh, that's the king of grapes. And so uh, unlike, or just like everybody else, I, I love a good Cabernet Sauvignon. For a while, it was my favorite wine. Uh, or wine it was my favorite varietal uh i wouldn't say it is anymore but still really nice cabernet sauvignon is like nothing else uh yeah yeah. so um they've they've committed to doing it uh specifically cabernet not expanding too quickly not not growing too much and i really appreciate that about them oh yeah they also have the benefit of being in the okanagan sorry sorry being in the southern part of the okanagan so even when it's cold they actually still have tastings throughout the uh, winter months. Uh, I'm looking at their website right now and you could book as early as tomorrow. So, um, that's really great. A lot of wineries do close for the winter because they don't have, or cause they're off season. Um, but during the off season, you just have to book an appointment and then in season you can just walk in. So yeah. I thought the, uh, the, the property that, uh, it sits in is so, so cute and quaint. And then they have like these, kind of rusted metal like uh artwork of horses and stuff like that and other things around that are just so cool so it's even nice just to walk around like where you park your car and you look at different pieces of artwork and stuff like that and if it's not torrential downpour if it's not torrential downpour (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, well and it's funny because actually uh i'm just remembering this now the next day Mm -hmm. when i did the triathlon the running route actually went right by no it. No way. <laughs> yeah, so I, was, I ran past it like twice or whatever. I was like, oh, I, I want to go back and taste more. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. let me finish this real quick. <laughs> yeah. And then and then their property, like fencing, a lot of it has uh, those that same kind of clay style fencing yeah. that you would yeah, see yeah. kind of in Mexico. Uh, traditional, or not traditional, um, older, tradi- older Mexican kind of architecture. And uh, yeah, I, I, I love it. I think it's decorated so well. It fits in with the climate yeah. on the backdrop of kind of the um, Okanagan mo- or the Thompson Mountains that are mm-hmm. like 
especially in the summertime it, it, it just goes it just is perfectly it just goes perfectly there yeah. uh they do have a wine club which is really cool um yeah that's it that's all i got <laughs> um yeah and oh yeah so they have they say they have three generations working together so that guess, is super cool yeah I, it's a hidden gem inside oliver for sure um i highly recommend as somebody who's been there myself um it yeah. was a phenomenal experience from top to bottom like uh the person who did our tasting as well super kind really really knowledgeable about the wines and just was so, it was just such a amazing experience yeah. um which is what it's all about wine tasting you know it's about learning uh about the winery it's and the wines themselves and enjoying uh speaking to someone who's who works there and learning more and more about the, their process and what they value in terms of wine and stuff oh it's just oh i love it so um tim and a- Tim and Eileen, Eileen, Tim and Eileen are the two that uh, bought it and purchased it. And um, Tim's parents help with it. So that's the upper generation. And Tim and Eileen's two sons help as well. And so that's the third generation. But I'm also seeing that Tim and Eileen met in culinary school, which is really cool. So that's cool. Yeah. And then it looks like in 2016, they finally is when they finally purchased the adjoining property. So uh, that's either when they really started producing the wines or or expanded to actually I think they were growing and then so that's when they finally uh, produced it so yeah it looks like 2017 was their original vintage so they haven't been around very long and um, but going strong and just really gung-ho on the Cabernet Sauvignon and then obviously the, the Merlot grows beautifully in the southern Okanagan as well yeah and so their Merlot is really nice, and their crossbreed is just the perfect balance between those two of them. The the Merlot kind of mills out the Cabernet Sauvignon a little bit, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, just incredible. So awesome. highly recommend. If you are in the Oliver area or close by, uh, within a reasonable four hour drive, it, <laughs> uh, the it's called Red Horses Vineyard, and it's located at 365 Zinfidel Ave. Again, that's in Oliver, and ironically, they do not grow Zinfidel huh. uh, Friedel. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, and if you're if you're familiar with the area, it's uh, kind of adjacent to the Inkmeet uh, Canyon Desert Golf Course. Ah, perfect. I haven't, really, cool. I haven't really gotten into golf yet. You know, in my old no. age, you'd think I'd uh, be going in. We talk... <laughs> The day you turn 30. <laughs> yeah. We talked about this recently. I, I don't know. I don't think I'll ever really get into it. I just no. I can't see myself. I feel like I would just get it. so frustrated. I like yeah. going to the driving range. That's always really fun. Yeah. Just like smacking balls as hard as you can. But no, I, yeah. <laughs> I am not patient enough for that. All right, Dan, I am excited because you said you have a great thing to tell me about you tasting here. So I'm really, I'm really interested to find out about that. And this is my favorite part of the show because I get so hungry and I just get to try eat everything. <laughs> well, I'm going to talk about something I don't know if we've talked about on the show yet. Um, and it is mead. Okay. Yeah, so mead is a uh, honey-based wine basically or fermented honey. Um I guess you call it yeah, you call it uh wine. Yeah, mead wine. So honey-based wine. Let's go with that. Um so it's basically uh, a similar process to wine uh, but the base is honey and water basically. And then uh so the specific place that I want to talk to you about which I uh, uh, my wife and I have been together uh, it's called Middle Mountain Mead, and the specific one I want to talk about is one that we have here at home that we bought uh, after our visit, and it was called the Mead of Inspiration, which was absolutely delicious. So this place is uh, uh, located on Hornby Island, and uh, and um, it, it is a beautiful, beautiful location uh, overlooking like the water and the islands um, uh, towards Vancouver. Um, and it's a beautiful little property and a cute little tasting room. And they have a really big patio, like multi-layer patio. So there's like little steps and you can go and sit in different spots and lots of seating and stuff. And, um, and, uh, 
bunch of different kinds of mead that you can try. So going back to the mead of inspiration, just a little bit about where where it is and uh, uh, and about what you can expect when you go there to taste the mead. Um, now more towards the mead of inspiration. So the mead of inspiration is based on uh, Norse mythology, and apparently mead used to be one of the, is like one of the oldest styles of wine there is in the world because honey was quite a uh, easy thing to 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 curate uh, back in the day. And uh, it can be traced back to before like 8,000 BC, po- uh, between 8,000 BC and 30,000 BC. So, well, uh, which is, yeah, super, super long ago. And like, it wasn't really, it was about like 6,000 years later where they started seeing like uh, grape based wines. So one of the, it is, mead is one of the oldest uh, fermented beverages of mankind, which is pretty interesting. And I didn't know that until I started researching a bit more. Um, but it would have, I'm assuming all happened naturally at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It would would definitely, I don't, I doubt it would be, uh, like a sophisticated process by like compared to today's standard, you know? Right. (laughs) So the meat of inspiration, it's uh, made with pure honey. Uh, they've also added some, uh, crafted, uh, wild crafted salal berries, elderberries, blackberries, Oregon grapes, rose hips, arbutus berries, black and red currants, cherries, and other grapes, as well as herb and herbs and botanicals, uh, to all kind of toss together in this honey-based, uh, fermented mead. And the flavor profile that you get from this is absolutely spectacular. It is, uh, sweet, uh, but not like overly sweet. I think I mentioned pretty much every show that I can't handle heavy, like heavy sweetness in terms of alcohol, but this is a lovely balance of, uh, fruitiness. Uh, you get some of the, um, you, you get a lot of fruit forwardness at the beginning of the, of the taste. And then it finishes off very herbaceous and botanical, uh, based. So a lot, lots of floral notes and lots of like herbs and spices. And it just be, it is like from start to finish, every sip you take is just like this little journey of like, of this mead. Uh, and it is such a delightful, delightful, uh, thing to drink if you're not, able to drink wine yourself uh for like allergy purposes or if it gives you major headaches like mead is very um uh, hypoallergenic if you will so there's not a lot of like there's no gluten there's no uh, like uh tannins or anything like that so it's a very um uh, it's a very easy thing to drink for lots of people so definitely a definitely something to try if you're in the mood for something a little different um i think they're they're quite they're quite small so i don't know if you'd find it in local uh, liquor stores here in victoria but um yeah you never know Uh, i definitely look out for it in uh, in your in your local liquor stores it is just even just tasting a a mead on its own it doesn't have to be the mead of inspiration but this was our favorite and hence why we bought a bottle of it uh while we were there and it was just a delightful experience from sip to 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 swallow Oh God! Can we, can we... <laughs> cut that out? <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> you want to know what I'm going to talk about? What are you talking about? <laughs> so, Jeff, what are you talking about for this week? I'm going to talk about something I don't know if we've. It's kind of it's kind of on brand from last week's episode, and I should have mm. maybe I should have done it last week, but. Uh, it's a breakfast burrito. Nice. From Brightside Foods. Have you heard of no. them? So it is the kind of to-go brand from uh, Burrow, the Burrow, okay. which is on uh, Commercial and 12th. Right. And it was formerly known as Bendita's. And then they had, okay. they changed the name for um, reasons because of you know, the meaning of that word and, and everything. So... Uh, anyway, Brightside Foods during the pandemic was created to help their them stay alive. Right. And they created these frozen burritos. They have a, a, a breakfast burrito, they have a pinto burrito, and then they have like um sorry, they have a pinto pocket, and then they have a spicy bean and cheese burrito as well. Mm, and the pinto pocket is like the shape of like a crunch wrap, mm. you know. Yeah, yeah. So like they're yeah. kind of like those like octo- octagonal goal. Yeah. Anyway, they're all fantastic, but the breakfast burrito in particular I really love because breakfast. <laughs> and they're so simple too. So you just you buy them, and you bring them home, and you keep them frozen until you need them. 
and then you huck them in the in the oven for 45 minutes set it forget it if you want you can flip it halfway uh, you can probably get away with not doing that if you want to <laughs> or you can microwave it for something like two minutes flip it two minutes flip it two minutes something like that i don't have a microwave so i've never done that i've just put it in the in the oven and they come out amazing they just you get that crispiness on the on the tortilla that you want everything's hot throughout it's not soggy it's not unwrapping i don't know if you ever had other frozen burritos but i always find them super small you almost need like two of them to even have like a half of a meal these are the big like honkers like you would get from the actual restaurant love it and um and they're good and they've they've really gamed up their distribution as well so they're available all over the uh, vancouver um they have i mean i'm looking at a map i can't even count how many of these are it's all over the lower mainland there's some on on the sunshine coast they got squamish they've got pal river they've got what is this they've got some like home delivery in just outside of parksville i guess um and they have shimanas health food store yeah so they are on the island as well which is awesome if i can scroll down to victoria there might be some none in none in victoria unfortunately though um but not too far from you if you get up to shimanas but also they have um uh a test kitchen so they're producing other foods as well and right now they're testing chocolate chip cookies and these like truffle chocolate bites as well but the chocolate chip cookies are super cool because they're just little like nuggets and you just throw them on a pan and bake them straight from frozen. So um, they also are available through uh, Uber Eats, DoorDash and Skip the Dishes mm. oh, because good. they can they can be purchased if you order from Borough Restaurant. So if you're within range of that on those delivery platforms, you can also get it through that. And then they also work with a company locally that ships them worldwide, uh, but only the vegan versions because it's oh. the company is uh, vegan supply. Um, and they ship worldwide, but uh, again, the, they only ship the vegan ones. So right. if you're okay with that, you can get them in, I don't know, Bangladesh, <laughs> South Africa, yeah, Antarctica, maybe even. Oh, Who there knows? you go. Who, you never for, know. for our one listener from Antarctica. <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty special. I would love that. Come on, uh, Antarctica. Yeah. So I think that that is really cool, and I think that what they're doing is great, and I can't wait to see some more of their food. Oh, they also have a cornbread, and they have a hot sauce as well. So nice. Yeah, and their cornbread is fantastic. But if you're going to start with one, start with a breakfast burrito. Any time of the day, chef's kiss. Dan, let's get back to wine. Let's get back to it. So I've got one one of my favorite wineries that I want to talk about. Just down the road from uh, Red Horse Winery as well, so oh, this, amazing! This will be uh, this will make a um, a wonderful little trip out to Oliver. Um, there are many more than these two, and there are, lots of them are fantastic. Well, yeah, and this will actually fantastic. be probably what our fifth in Oliver now. Oh, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's that's not even scratching the surface. No, not even close. Yeah, the if you've ever been to so or no Soyuz, well. Uh, so I use Oliver that area. You know this place is absolutely packed with delicious wineries. This is one of my favorites for sure. And I might be a little bit biased because we had their wine at our wedding. But the oh. winery that I want to talk to you about is Le Vieux Pain. So Le Vieux Pain has been in the region since 2000. They started, I think their first varietal was in 2005. So they've been around for a long time. And what they specialize in is uh, French winemaking. So French style of winemaking with... Hence the French name, yes. Hence the French name, which I'll get to in just a sec as well. Along with a new world character. Uh, So really utilizing what they have in the region, which is uh, mineral rich soils uh, and perfect um, red wine uh, creating weather. As we know, a Soyuz and Oliver, it's like the one desert in Canada. Hard to believe. Um, Le Vieux Pain stands for the um, the, pine, the pine tree stands alone. I don't think that's a direct translation, but basically that's kind of what they're going for. And um, it, <laughs> Okay, yeah, it, um, it, it just means the old, either the old bread or the old like pine tree yeah it must be pine tree because uh the 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 reason they called it this is there's a single uh uh, pine tree that sits like on their property 
And it just mm-hmm. creates this really picturesque, beautiful uh, background scenery, uh, along with a beautifully rustic uh, style of ta- uh, tasting uh, room that they have on the property. Um, yeah, the old the old pine. The old pine. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So it references the the one pine tree on the on the uh, on the property. It's a long winded explanation on their name. <laughs> Let's get back to their wine. So what they're really really known for, Le Vieux Le Vieux is Syrah. So when we first, my wife and I first went to the to the uh, Okanagan Valley or um, or to Oliver and Soyuse, I had never heard of like Syrah before, and ha- uh, it was like that my first time ever wine tasting. So I started off in a really good place to <laughs> to start. So I was exposed to all different kinds of flavors. What I really took a, a liking to was Syrahs. and Le Vieux Pain is like I said, very very known. They um. They are known as like the national leader in Syrahs in Canada. Hmm. Um, and you can see why, because every year that they've done a Syrah, they've won a, an award or an accolade for. And the 2019, 93 points, the Decanter Magazine writer uh, stated it was the Syrah Cuvie, Cuvie Violette was one of her top 10 wines of the year of 2022. Uh-huh. Uh, so it scored 93 points. The 2020, 95 points. And not, 2020, uh, Cuvée Violette, uh, 96 points. Uh, and won an award at the Global Fine Wine Tasting. Um, and uh, it, the list just goes on and on and on and on. It's it's pretty wild, actually. Um, what they like to do with their Syrahs, they create different... So there's like the Cuvée Violette... There's the uh, Equinox Syrah, and then there's the um, the Ava, and each of the different three different varietals they like to do they like to um, uh, celebrate a different aspect of, of of the grape itself. So the um, the Cuvée Violette is an ode to like the grape's elegant floral side, so it's a little bit of a lighter Syrah. And, but it's a really good one for somebody who's like kind of just dabbling in a Syrah because we know Syrahs are big, powerful, uh, big flavors and stuff like that. Very heavy. Uh, this one is a little bit more herbaceous and 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 fruit forward, and it's just kind of um, adding a little bit of brightness to a Syrah. Uh, lovely, lovely um, one. This the the Equinox is their flagship, and uh, the the it's a ninety seven percent Syrah, three percent Viognier, uh, aged nineteen months in a French barrel uh, before bottling unfined. And it's a wonderfully balanced Syrah that uh, showcases its uh, it, its kind of heaviness, uh, and so it's very like black cherry espresso pepper peppery uh, Syrah, um, and uh, it probably gets that from being bought or like uh, spending so much time in French barrels. Uh, it's just a really beautifully balanced uh uh Syrah. I don't know if we ended up tasting all three of their varietals. I don't know if they were on on uh display or available to taste because I think some of them are are um reserve reserved. Yeah. So yeah. um but yeah. Uh and then the Ava is kind of your um let's see. <laughs> Ava is kind of like your balanced, balanced one. So you had your uh, Cuvée Violette was fruity. The the Equinox was heavy and more like tanniny. This one's uh, kind of right in the middle. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, it is not heavy, little bit of tannins to it. Uh, it's a well-balanced. Uh, it's got a little bit of a, uh, a peachy or stone fruity t- flavor to it. And then uh, finishes off with more of a smoky peppercorn flavor profile. So kind of like right in the middle, if you're kind of, yeah. if you like both aspects of Syrah, that would be the one that to go to. But if you're looking for tannins and heaviness, you want to go for their Equinox. And if you want to go for the more fruity side, you go for their Cuvée Violette. So they're fantastic. Um, the... Do you see that they're currently running a limited run of the Cuvée Classique? And it's uh, a I... spicy savory side of Syrah. Ooh, no, I haven't. No, I yeah. didn't And then that. they also have a uh, Petit Rouge, which is Merlot, Syrah, and Cab Franc. So Petit Rouge think, is, is, was the red wine that we had at our wedding, actually. And it right. is... A, I remember it being very good. I didn't yeah. realize... Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I recognize these labels, but I uh, I didn't put that together. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's funny how some of the bottles are twist off and some are cork. <laughs> I know. I wonder why. I, I imagine that it's uh, 
leaning towards like the different styles will get something more from the cork versus the capped maybe or maybe yeah, just maybe. different uh different um years that they were deciding to do cork versus screw top it'd be interesting to find out right. um the the place itself is spectacular when you look at when you drive up uh you drive down a little bit of a dirt road and you see this beautiful rustic uh winery with uh a building that's their tasting room and then you can see the lone pine tree in the distance uh be uh, and like just behind it is you're looking over the river uh the okanagan river and then you have like the 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 golden kind of reddish uh mountains in the distance uh just a spectacular place to to visit um and when we went there it, you, you the big like wooden doors and you're open it's a little bit like almost intimidating and you're like this is this place is unbelievable and you go yeah. in and it's really like this kind of majestic kind of french style uh lots of woods kind of whites uh, with some white white on the walls with like these black or dark brown wood around you so really taking into like the french style and uh, and everybody that you talk to there is so you can tell you they're just so passionate about the wine and the way it's created and the way that they the the way they do it uh to create the flavor profiles that they're looking for um we got to try uh countless of their wines i think it was like four whites and four or five reds for me no oh, it was awesome. more like i think it was only two whites because they more focus on their reds and like five or six reds and they were all distinct in their own way and each of them really um uh captured what they were trying to trying to go for uh it made me fall in love with with wine that's for sure and uh especially Syrahs. and i'd had Sirazbe at other wineries but these ones tasted just a that, just that little bit more i don't even know how to describe it there was a lot of like personality to it you could tell that this mm-hmm. was created very specifically and very um and the time was put into yeah, it and the t- exactly um and it was just just absolutely delicious um and everything everything you tasted was great but uh, the the reds are what they're really known for those that's kind of what we focused mostly on at our wedding we had le petit rouge and uh le petit blanc which is their uh their house white and their house red even those are so good like for a house wine you'd expect you know like decent decent but they're just so delicious each of them (laughs) in their own way like the red the red is a little bit on the lighter side being like a house wine it wants to be like far reaching and stuff like that and for everybody to enjoy and i think it captures that with um without tasting like a generic kind of red wine i think it was i i found it more unique than your than your kind of average typical uh house wine um and they're also the white same thing just unique in its own way uh, very fresh, very fruit, fruity without being overly sweet. I think it was about, I think they classified it as a semi-dry. So a little bit of sweetness, a little bit of dryness to it. Just a really easy drinking wine with some uh, really nice uh, fruit forward flavors. Yeah, Le Vieux Pain. It is, they actually have a, a sister winery called La Stella, which is on the other side of the river, closer to oh. Soyuz, I believe. Um, we did go there as well and you can, st- it's, um, Similar in style, um, but they're just doing like different things. I, I believe La Stella kind of focuses more on whites, uh, if I remember okay. correctly. Apologies if I don't, if I've gotten that wrong. Um, but yeah, um, couldn't I, I don't have enough good things to say about uh, Le Vieux Pain. Uh, one of the interesting things, uh, when you look on their website, you can see each of their, uh, all of their crops basically are in different parts of uh, Oliver and Soyuz. And that's just kind of getting uh, getting the kind of flavor profiles and like the sediment values that they want to create the wines that they're looking for. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. What I found interesting for them was they are certified as a sustainable winery as of 2021. Mm. And um, they, they take a really tremendous pride in it. There's a whole section of it. And um, they're really passionate about making sure that they're doing the right things by the, by the ground that they uh, grow their grapes on. And um, yeah, so their aim is basically to protect and preserve the land, soil, waters, and plants. So doing it uh, sustainably. Um, So they are constantly looking uh, at their soil and nutrient management, uh, their water efficiency, um, and making sure that it's a sustainable practice where they can everybody, no matter what, can enjoy their their wines. So they've been uh, 
their certification was validated on all three of those systems over the past 11 years. So they've obviously wow. taken a long time to, to get this right. And um, on their blog, they talk about each of them. And I'm trying to get it up here. Why am I? Maybe that's what I should do with my degree. Well, there you go. Sustainable uh, wine uh, practices. Cer- certified wineries. Yeah, yeah, yeah that would be awesome, man. Yeah, so to meet the SWBC's sustainable vineyard standards, uh, you have to meet these six criteria. So setting a sustainable foundation, soil and nutrient management, watershed management and conservation, irrigation optimization, integrated pest management, and social equity. Um, Hmm. And so over the past 11 years, uh, they've been doing things like composting project plans, um, so you composting when they can, uh, organic Amazing. grape foliar fertilization programs, spill prevention and response plans. So anything that's hazardous, they have a plan to be able to manage that. So their water and uh, water efficiencies. So we use oak for fermented and con- uh, oak fermenters and concrete fermenter tanks with a cap to age our wines, so they do not need to be replaced as often. Barrels often need to be replaced every ten or seven to ten years, um, but large oak vats you uh, can last many lifetimes. So they're not, oh. yeah. So they're they're not having to replace their barrels every seven to ten years. Um, they have on-site recycling and garbage, which is great. Um, and, and they are uh, passionate about uh, sustainable projects within the within the community. So they support a lot of local initiatives. And yeah, uh, just a great great idea. And it's nice to see wineries taking uh, um, taking a, this a sustainable practices seriously and implementing like plans. So it's really nice to see. And I don't know if I've seen that at any like I'm sure that other wineries are doing it, but uh, it's it's nice to see that they're actually sharing with the public what they're what they're doing yeah. and why why they're doing it and how they're doing it as well. Yeah, good for great. them. Yeah, um, if you're ever in the if you're ever in the Oliver region, lucky you for once, for, for one <laughs> thing, um, it is located in 5496 Black Sage Road in Oliver, BC. Uh, tastings are by online apo- appointment only, so make sure you check on their online uh, appointment tracker to book an appointment. Their tastings start in May and go through till September. That about wraps it up for this leg of our journey. Taste BC Radio is recorded, edited, and produced by Jeff Wilson and me, Dan Cavanaugh. You can continue the journey and check out everywhere we talked about today in the show notes and our TasteBC Radio map. Make sure to follow us on TasteBC Radio on Instagram and Facebook, and we'd love to have you join our community on Patreon. Links are in the show notes. Tune in next time to find out what we will be tasting next. And never miss an episode by subscribing on your podcast app. In the meantime, make sure to rate and review the show. This really does help us grow, grow and we really do appreciate the feedback. Until next time, support local and keep, keep it, it tasty. tasty. Nice. All right. right. (laughs) Enough of that. Yeah. No more. (laughs) All right. So I'm on it right now. And I just typed in who is TasteBC Radio. And it says, as an AI language model, I do not have access to real-time information about individuals or entities on the internet, including TasteBC Radio. It is possible that TasteBC Radio refers to a person or organization related to food, beverage, or radio broadcasting in British Columbia, Canada. Based on the name, how... Based, oh, yeah. However, without more context or information, I cannot provide a specific answer. So That's pretty cool. It did say we're not, pop- we're not popular enough to know. <laughs> <laughs> Although it did figure out our, our name, and I put in I just put in Taste BC Radio all one word, so. That's pretty cool. 